Sun Podcast. My name is Jack Oway. And I'm Jay Oway, and this is about D&D. All things D&D. And if you're joining us now, this is our series celebrating our 100th episode of podcasting about Dungeons & Dragons. This is the fourth episode celebrating the 100th episode. That's right. We'll soon get to 100 episodes celebrating the 100th episode. Yeah, Hopefully. It feels that way. If you've been with um, us uh, all these weeks, we are counting down uh, from 101 to 1. Uh, to our number one tip, but uh, this hundred week... things you got to do in D and D before you die. Yeah, hundred and one um, things to do. Uh, and this week we start off at number fifty nine, I think. Yes, starting off with number fifty nine, and this is something that many players will have asked. And if you have any, a lot of experience in D and D, maybe you'll be able to check this off. Um, but either give or receive a pet for your D and D character. Yeah. Uh, Younger parties, uh, I find, really love this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of pets in D&D, <laughs> personally. Um, okay. But, uh, and you know why, actually, I, I think I've become more of a fan of it as we've come up with ways that, you know, make sure the pets don't die. Yeah. Um, but I sort of feel like it, rules is written, especially like early, like, kind of ranger stuff you'd be like oh and you get to have an animal companion you're like no fluffy's gonna die mm-hmm. um animals animals have almost no hit points oh yeah they got like one hit point they are one hit and they are dead but yeah what are some ways we can like easy ways to get a pet first one that comes to mind right away for me find familiar spell you know, there's yeah. a couple ways you can go about getting a familiar absolutely and and these are better pets because they're not they're durable pets even if they get well if they get squashed, you bring them back. Exactly. Yeah, you can. They're inflatable in in a sense. Where if you pop <laughs> them, deflatable. You can, you can matchable and repairable. Yeah. Um, bring them back. But they don't have to always be this. I, there was a you played a a game where the DM gave uh, the party a pet dragon, right? Baby dragon. Yes. I never really got to see that campaign finished or wrap up but yeah what right about the time where it nearly ended, the party did receive a little baby dragon wormling, brass dragon wormling. Um, and some of the players were very excited about this. They were very excited about it. Um, I, I think perhaps there was some requests by the players that were unbeknownst to me, but I was all on board for having... Like, what a cool concept. Yeah. Raising a dragon as a party, that's great. That's a fun Like that, that informs your whole quest line. There's sure. now NPCs and factions fighting over your rare pet. You know, in a world where dragons are, you know, hunted raising a dragon no less i mean where where did it come from where is its parents you know are its parents alive you know down the line will we reunite it with its parents you know how will it imprint on us as humans what will it this is a sentient intelligent creature at some point but right now it's just a little baby thing right this creature will far live beyond the the these kingdoms they will it will outlive this century you know yeah. but right now is the beginning of its lifespan and that is like the most impactful 
part of teaching this dragon you know okay are you gonna hate humans or are you gonna like humans right how to train a dragon a little bit it's it's a really fun idea it's a fun way of putting the dragon, dragon into right? dungeons and dragons it is a fun way of putting uh, the dragon um you can also have little like um pseudo dragons uh as or a, it doesn't even need to be a dragon but i'm just saying again it, like a hippogriff or like some magical creature sure. like there's the of course the obvious pets that you get with your familiars like your owls or yeah. your you know you dogs could do or a game where you've got mounted your... combat and stuff and people could have cool and interesting steed. steeds yeah, and you things. could have a paladin who's really in love with their horse or their you could have a everybody pony girl. in the party could have a horse or like yeah like a, a classic pony girl paladin or you ride or not, you ride axe right? beaks yeah if you're in icewind dale or sure maybe even riding on owl bears who knows 100 percent, right yeah you could have totally have an owl bear steed i would allow it you know, yeah, if you got the way to pets. keep it alive, I don't fun, know. Fun things. Again, the nice thing about having these more monsters, monsters is a whatever word, but these not, they have these magical pets is that they're also a little bit harder to kill. Like most yeah. of the beasts that you'll find that are generally in the pet category do not have that many hit points. Yeah, if you're just offering um, up uh, somebody a dog, that's just, it's, unless the, the dog's no, a blink terrible. dog or yeah. something. A blink dog is great. Because the thing is, you've got to find a pet. Critical keeps that, showing up sure, with these sure. things. When a pet comes up you gotta have a way for it to like disappear and get away from danger quickly sure. a little dragon wormling has got a, a you know a chunk of hit points i mean it could still get hurt and you ought, you ought to rule it like any other player at that point you can't just kill it right yeah. um give it like at least half the hit points of the party most party members at that point you know give it a way to fly away or teleport away or you know somehow have a space that it can be safe and reunite with the party after battle or something right because just like every combat is dangerous and these npcs that are yeah, little see, babies area of effect stuff are, it's like oh the fireball ooh, every in the within ooh. that gets 20 points of damage yeah and we're like okay deck saves and things like that and i'm like okay i only took like 10 and whatever mm -hmm. i'm okay i'm okay it doesn't matter if they deck save your pet deck saves and it still takes 10 it's dead two times three times over so mm -hmm. yeah yeah no yeah, well, I think that, again, there's so much potential for having a pet in D&D. &D, uh, and it's just, a, it's a fun role-play moment, In the too. first campaign of Crit Roll, they had a way for the their pet bear to, yeah. to bamf into exactly. a little crystal necklace. And in, in um, the second campaign, I think it was just the little ferret or weasel, weasel or whatever it was, was, was just indestructible. Like, yeah, indestructible. And then it turned out there was actually a lore reason without giving any spoilers there. Um, but yeah, just funny yeah. ideas. All and now, now you'll see in campaign three as well, Fern's mister is again another magical summon and yeah. as you'll begin to read through a lot of the druid subclasses now have more summoning stuff with their wild companion or the wildfire spirits um there's a lot of ways to get pets you know as a class feature or not as a class feature i don't know talk to your dm about it it, it definitely makes for a, a more interesting and lively sort yeah. of table it adds another component to the to especially the if you don't have that many players at the table i think it can be a nice addition yeah where if you've already got seven or eight storylines happening then maybe throwing pets. a pet into the mix is just <laughs> another thing but um yeah drake wardens so many cool cool ways yeah nobody nobody ever says oh gosh i wish our wizard didn't have that familiar oh yeah useful tools um and lovable friends more sure. than tools they're, sure they're Sometimes yeah, NPCs love become lovable friends, too. And they do fall in love with each other. Um, not every campaign or table will be comfortable with this next yeah, one. So this one's um, number 58 uh, uh, from personal experience. Um, marry two NPCs in your game. Yeah, this one doesn't is mean a, you have to marry uh, your characters marrying NPCs. No, no, although no, you could. Although you could very well right, could right. do that. And I think that would check this box so, off as well. But. So I don't know if those of you out there listening are familiar with the ceremony spell. Uh, mm -hmm. Paladins get it largely kind of useless um its primary use i think generally in the game is to make holy water 
it's the spell that does that. It's quite useful for it. It has a couple other features though. Um, atonement uh, is in there. There's one for, I think, for burying the dead. Um, and uh, there's one for marrying. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a marriage yep. one. There's a little marriage ceremony and, one. And it was just one of these things that in the game, in our very first episode of it, we managed to kind of adopt two NPCs. They were kind of going to run off, but we got them on the boat to safety with us and they kind of stuck around and um, and just sort of for fun RP, I started try- talking to both of them about you know, their intentions towards each other. And, mm-hmm. um, and my character was sort of like nudging the hint towards them that they should tie the knot or, you know, and then the, the rest of the party started to lean into a little bit. We had a paladin on board who would, who was ready to sort of do the deal. And then we started along the way, you know, the NPC said she'd, oh, of course want to have a, you know, to do it proper. And so we need to find a good venue and like the right, all the right sort of, <laughs> things and yeah so it it became this sort of drawn out stuff which actually culminated with them getting married just before our sort of a really big important battle against our arch enemies which grants them a little yeah, a, little a little, little bump to is it it's ac right well they're near each other or something yeah. like that um and that was, you know that was the whole point in me getting them <laughs> married was i was just looking for the mechanical bump to help our but ndcs so out. much role play and it became a whole yeah. thing it went on for like a year um that's great yeah it's fun when the mechanics can kind of inform role play a little bit well and to have a group that was open enough to having this sort of odd mm. um role play moment sort of play out and i guess i mean and this actually stands in as an anecdote for any of that sort of odd thing like that. As a DM, let your NPCs be alive and living characters. Let them have their own wants um, and yeah, this, yeah, love and, and, this, and their own interaction, feelings about the players and the character, not the players, but the PCs, the characters, yeah. and how they all interact with each other and what they are willing to do and not willing to do. And I mean, what's kind of it makes them human. I mean, there's something so. I mean, again, not every table will want this, and I don't want this in a lot of my games, but there's something so beautiful about love, right, that yeah. we, we don't often see in a game about killing monsters yeah. with your sword. But I think it's it's such a lovely... Some really advanced tables might, you know, yeah. romance and ship a couple of players and things sometimes. Oh, sure, right. And not all, of us, not all players, of us are comfortable but... ready to do that sure, sort of thing. of course. NPCs are a lot easier to do that with. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. It is kind of fun to bring a little bit of romance and love into D anD. D. It doesn't have to be romantic love. I mean, yeah. just again showing a little bit of love yeah. to your friends, to your loved ones, to family. I mean, it's 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 a. I think it needs to be a little bit more common in D anD. D. Frankly, um, but of course, respecting boundaries is, yeah. is always the a must, right? Communication there. Um, but I, I think more people should consider showing a little bit more happiness and love, and mm. you know alliance and whatever right i think it's it's a lovely thing to see in games and it's it's all about trying to bring npcs you know more to life make them into a more memorable mm-hmm. npc um they're not just random shopkeeper or you know there's so many npcs that are just you know mannequins really uh mm. where if you start playing them they start being with your party for a while the dm gets into their voices and personalities they become you know they become more a bigger part of the story. Another way to make memorable NPCs is yeah. to have your party meet a famous character in D&D lore, which brings yes. us on to number 57. Meet a famous character 
like Mordenkainen. Sure. I mean, are there, what are some other famous characters that players could meet? Tasha? I, I suppose. I mean, Xanathar? Is that a famous character? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, think, famous I character. think if you're putting their names on, on books, books these yeah. days, in terms of fifth edition rock stars, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Van Richten. Xanathar, Van Richten, Volo, Mordecai, and Tasha. Now, here's a crazy thing. Two of those names, Van Richten. Completely made up. And <laughs> Van Richten and Mordenkainen are both in Curse of Strahd. Yeah, right. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people maybe know or are aware that Mordenkainen. Or who these people even are. If you're a newbie to D&D and you don't know who these names are, all the more reason maybe it'd be fun to meet them in yeah. your game, right? Um, there's plenty of resources online sort of giving some lore and history about these people. Um, from the designers of D&D 5th Edition. Yeah. I think it's cool that they still write them into adventures. Um, Morden Kanan famously is the wizard PC of one of the, the creator of uh, Dungeons & Dragons, one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons, um, Gary Gygax, right? Yeah. Um, and he, that he still appears in the modern day, whatever, you know, 30, 40, 50, uh, 60, 70, <laughs> couple decades, to couple 2022. That must be 100 years. About something like that. It feels that way. But... Um, yeah, I think it's it's a great experience to be able to like understand the lore, right? And be like, oh, and realize that. And um, even if like it, you could just do it as a DM, your players don't even know who this guy is, and you, but you know, you know. And there's there's also a joy in that, I think. Yeah, I, I think there's a. I think again, I love I love the stuff that connects us back into the into the culture, into the history and the lore that bridges generations and um yeah a name like morton canaan definitely does that it gets us into uh gets us into the past and makes people ask the questions of you know where these things come from who are they what's going on yeah um it's true i'm again trying to think of like other names you can throw make your own names what you do is once you get this really ongoing campaign or establish some names bring them back for another sure. campaign in the same world down the line they're a bit older or yeah. you know in a prequel you see them when they're young and or maybe in their prime well, or, and it doesn't, I, I don't know, or right? if you're but more interested in this it doesn't take much to go on people. to like a forgotten realms wiki oh sure dig in there's loads of history and lots of names things have been around for ages and drop a sprinkling of them or their grandchildren yeah, or even like a straw history, or, or they a, uh, know, there's a plaque that. commemorating sure. commemorating a, a statue or something in a square or a building yeah. or yeah was, or in a, a future and, campaign you know have one of the pcs and now they're this you know figure of legend is a statue or maybe the history is not quite right you know is the yeah. way they record it but the player's like oh, that's not how it works you know whatever and they can sort of be excited by that but yeah risking like names that have power and like the ability to bring a smile to a face because they're rememberable um i think is a is a wonderful experience in in dungeons and dragons for sure Um, whether it's existing or or your own names you know um but yeah uh, and it was actually fun. You, uh, when we did our f- uh, final fight uh, with Strahd, mm-hmm. uh, you actually got to play Mordenkainen Morten in yeah. that fight, which was fun. That's the, yeah. And that's actually a, a tip here where we're talking a little bit about NPCs. Um, if you do have a co-DM friend around, mm-hmm. when it comes time for that big, big battle that's got a lot of moving parts and things to it, and you've got some NPCs in it, and you don't want to play both sides of the fence, because come on, as a DM, it's hard enough playing one side. Mm-hmm. Um, then to also have to roll for NPCs and things attacking your own monsters, it just it does your head in. So it's more fun to sort of say, okay, here, you, you yeah. go play the big wizard NPC, the ally of theirs, and uh, yeah, 
see how it goes. Mm. It's more, it was actually way more fun having you. It's like, I hate having to like shoot my own bad guys with like a good guy wizard. It just seems, and also or I counterspell yourself. It also yourself feels weird. weird. It feels weird as a DM to be like just playing D and D by yourself for a while. <laughs> the players are all sitting there watching me play both the NPCs and the the. <laughs> Yeah. bad guys and i'm like okay i didn't need you guys to come tonight i'm just or uh, even like a role play like uh, where like two npcs are talking i know and it's i hate like... having to do two npcs <laughs> talking to each other yeah. in front of the party i'm like okay you guys just sit there while i i do a puppet show for you <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no so these are D- dm problems right yeah um i think i think those are definitely something to experience on a different note um number 56 uh this was one of my um New Year's resolutions, um, maybe even a year was that this year or the year before. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. They all get blurry. Um, but I was like, I get like so. Number fifty six is choose a different type of sword uh, or different name of sword, even if it uh, mm-hmm. still does the same damage. So, what does this mean? What do you mean okay. by that? If so to break that down in D and D, we have a very short list of weapons, and uh, you've got a short sword. You've got scimitars, you've got rapiers. For swords, specifically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got long sword, you've got two-handed sword, or great well, that, sword. That, that is the long, why you say the great sword. Great sword. And the two-handed sword now can be either one or two-handed, right? That's a long sword, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there used to be other, there used to be more swords? They've kind of got but again, in history, swords. there's so many names for different swords. There types, are. Right? And there's such cool names, like a, a falchion or a, yep. what's another one? What's a, I, I recently or... had a Yatagans. Yatagan. Um, you know, and I've had a saddle sword, and I've had, uh, there's a whole bunch of different, if you just start, like, kind and of And especially if you're searching. playing a martial character, and you're like, oh, whatever, long sword. I, you know, you could call it, like, I, my friends love to call their long swords the katana or whatever. But yes, katanas are fine as well. Sure, you can do right. stuff. I mean, that in one's there. a bit overdone. But. Maybe, but I mean, so's longsword. I mean, sure. it really is overdone. Um, or I mean, even rapier and scimitars, poor things. They they do. It's like you know, they do seem to get a lot of uh, claymore or like oh, yeah. broadsword. Absolutely, and and so the the question then is like, oh well, do I need to come up with a whole bunch of you know new damage dice or how is this going to work or th- and it's like no no you don't because ultimately you know even when you give these swords and things a bunch of different names uh at the end of the day they're only they're all they'll kind they of all do, do the same 10, thing you know whatever right 1d6 but... maybe 1d8 maybe 2d6 if they're really big uh that's it yeah uh you know it's, it's it you know and you can decide whether it's it makes sense that it's a uh, versatile or whether it makes sense that it's um again think of them as like the existing things as templates for you to build you know or, or have your own name or whatever you're um, feeling for it right yeah like or, you may your character is a whatever path of the whatever barbarian but you're more than that right what does that mean to you like you're not just a zealot you are of the you know Ashari or whatever, right? Like of, of this whatever organization in the world, right? Make your weapons of the world too, right? Like they don't call them long swords where I'm from. They call them, you know, whatever other name. They call them like what? What's a God? I can't even think of them right now. But you you know what I mean, right? Like 
a cutlass a cutlass or... sure or like a yeah you're some sort of yeah you're you're a, you're playing a swashbuckler so you don't have a rapier or like you don't have a scimitar you have your cutlass right yeah. Um, that's the idea I think we're trying to, to get with this, right? Is There's finding names new for names for your items. And yeah, and, and whether it's whether it's finesse or not, um, that's kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense based on the weapon, whether it's versatile or not, depends on it. Sure. And you talk to your DM about these things, if you sort of feel like you want, it should be both finesse and versatile. Like, okay, well, then that's kind of new and that kind of outside of things, talk to your DM. Again, probably okay. Probably still wouldn't break anything. Sure. Probably not. Um, eh. uh, mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Well, I don't know, because like, what's the point at that point? <laughs> well, <laughs> the point of what worries me some bit, and we can talk about this a little bit later, is that uh, and this isn't an episode where we get into breaking down the problems with D&D, but strength is often undervalued and dex is leaned into him more heavily. Yes. So uh, giving more things to, to a dex build doesn't seem like, at this point, fair... Oh, whatever. Already. Fair. You're right. We can't really. We're not really too worried about breaking D and D, but you know. Anyways, that would be my the only yeah. reason I. And it. you could even make up your own. Like you could give it. Try like, to give the strength. You guys could call something. your great axe like a. You know uh, what's the overly done one like Betty or whatever like they always do or with yeah. Bessie or I don't know the idea of like make your weapons yours. You sure. Know? Well, you can name a weapon, and why not give your weapon a name? Why can't it just be a. Like people say, oh, you need to have a magic item to give it a famous name. No, you don't. Um, I have a character in my current party um, signed up to play a champion, which is a very underpowered build compared to many. Mm-hmm. So um, out of the simple. gate, out of the yeah. gate, she I she wanted to name her great sword uh, Rosa Lily, and I'm like, okay, we'll tell you what, sort of help give you a little boost lift here. It's going to be a silvered sword. And just sort of like thinking of it in my mind as like extra durable, somehow silvered as well. Like there's something about Rosa Lily that's because it's named and carried by this champion. It's sort of it's a little bit more special, not magical silvered, but just a little bit better than your average. Like not a little bit, like much significantly better than your average sword yeah. build. It's not just you wouldn't just throw Rosa Lily down and walk away from it like yeah, that's that sort of meaningful, mm. and that's and then and she has since then. She talks about it of her sword. All I mean, it becomes this thing. That's cool. Uh, it's all even beautiful, if it's beautiful, beautiful like filigree yeah. in the sure. the the blade of it and everything. Yeah, and do that. Not only the name, but like the appearance, the look. Yeah. You know, it's got the whole make thing it described. Yours. It's yeah. a thing. There it's, is this um this anime, this this demon slayer anime, and they all get these fashion swords from whatever. And this one character always takes a rock and makes it all jagged and and theirs, right? And it's like sacrilegious to some characters, but it's like, nope, this is my weapon. This is how it looks to me, and it has the same stats and the same whatever, right? Yeah. But you make it yours, right? Yeah, that's the idea. So yeah, you you this is a bit like when we were talking before about reflavoring spells or recust the customizing your yeah. your sheet In, or your. This is, is about yeah, yeah the going, appearance of it taking taking that boring old you know standard name thing and putting a little bit more spin yeah. on it yeah exactly easy of course um now another way to perhaps gain perspective or gain insight into what these names are or what different weapons could be outside of the 5e um 
boundaries that are often placed up, and, and many of them for good reason. Um, but there are some limitations, of course, with 5e as there are with any RPG system. And the way to maybe learn about what those boundaries and limitations are and maybe how to overcome them or adapt your table to be yeah. you know, more nuanced level of play, especially if you're ready for that, is to give some different RPGs a go. And I know for many people this will be this is number 55. very scary. This is like a, a very scary thing to do. Number 55, um, play a different for RPG well. for a while. Uh, as a source of inspiration and insight, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, nobody says you have to give up D&D. Of course not. Because you've played something else. It, it's not And like very that. quickly you realize that D&D is, is tried and true for a list of reasons. Sure. And, and there's a lot of easy-to-learn RPGs out there that are low rules, that are simple. I mean, I think the big drawback for a lot of people, including myself, is the, uh, you know, do I have the time and the bandwidth to go through a massive rules textbook somewhere mm -hmm. and learn all the new yeah. uh, classes and subclasses and how the builds work and sure. how their combat system works and What's all the of these things. What's the difference from 5e? However, yeah. it is actually, this is, can be very informative, especially as a DM and others. You play another system of play um, and you come away from it and you go, oh, I really liked how that, they had this thing that mm -hmm. I'm like, oh. like um, recently I, I came away from playing the Alien RPG um, little one shot on a weekend and I was like oh the way that it like when you start getting freaked out and you have to add more dice but then the more dice you add then the more risk of you like having some sort of serious panic attack I'm like okay my next my next campaign I'm going to put in a little similar system like that mm, um, yeah. and I think it's I think it's fun when you can find something like that borrow it bring it back to your own game and adding like another little another dimension to uh, the table, especially if it is, you know, the same old players you've played with many times, you know that they're good players and they can handle. Sure. And and also just making it good game design, make it so that it runs smoothly, not a lot of extra crunch and stuff that gets in the way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you, you're you never going to come up with the, some of these ideas if you don't go out there and experience new things. Yeah. And this is, I don't think is on our list, but maybe an additional extra challenge for some people. Once you've read a couple RPGs, as I was, you may be inspired to sit down and begin crafting your own RPG system. Yeah, which is um, harder than you think. Which is very hard, um, but it very rewarding. And again, it gets you thinking and, and being creative and stepping outside mm. of, of the assumptions we make for 5e. Well, I think a lot of, and well, a lot of your, the ones I've seen and ones I've done, when you start, you see people come from, from Dungeon Dragons and they start another RPG system. It often starts with the same, same looking thing. Like you're like, oh, so you've got a bunch of stats and mm -hmm. they sure. maybe get different names or maybe there's not as many of them or maybe there's more of them and and you know even to step farther and farther back and start to get out try and get outside of even that mm -hmm. sort of framework of thinking of like how do we create something that looks even different than yeah that um, i mean arrange i mean you think about like what are what are even the basics of an rpg right and what makes a character creation and what makes that kind of storytelling and i don't know you very quickly begin to realize that there are a lot more but there's so much potential with the way that things are organized. Like, why do we have to have, do we have to have classes? Do we have to have races? Do we have to have whatever? And it, it's all for you to consider. And there's a, a lot of fun in, in writing and creating your own system. But it does require some understanding and some knowledge. And there, there's a great amount of learning that comes with it as well. Um, and so I think even just playing other RPG systems outside of, of 5e, because um, I really think it, it is the gateway drug into TTRPGs yeah. if you were to think of it but, in that or, way. But. Or go back and play play an earlier edition of d Yeah, that's another well. great um, suggestion. Open up, open up some 3.5 
put some stuff together or go sure. back and make some first edition characters or um, and learn about and, how things, and sort of look at, things are very different exactly. now. And, and it will give you a, a huge appreciation no matter what of these things you do of actually how good 5e mm-hmm. is it's not perfect i mean it, it has its own limitations but at the same time there's in the nearly 50 years that this game's been around it has evolved enormously and uh it works pretty good yeah um uh, speaking of of things that have evolved evolved um number 54 number 54 play with experience points have you, do you, i don't know anybody who i i played one campaign with experience points yeah, i played with experience points for a little while and i think the there's again five years. something that we like about the idea of xp right there's something that's kind of like in every in very little again video gamey about the idea that we as adventurers slay monsters and complete quests and we receive xp for it mm. and level up right i was at um, a table where xp you only got full experience points if you came to the game right if you had to miss the game you just only got half experience points of whatever else at the table got and so people were kind of at different levels yeah because some people made the game mm-hmm. some didn't and things I like see. that so it became interesting because a lot of the characters were out of sync in terms of leveling up um of when it would sort of happen um which wasn't bad actually it was kind of interesting seeing different characters sort of come about at different times which i think if you were if you're playing milestone to award milestones to individuals is um, doable i guess but some players would be like why'd he get it not me um why is she getting her next level now and and i'm not and i'd hate to do that to anybody at the table um whereas xp it's sort of a bit like eh that's the the numbers, numbers are handed here. out. Yeah, you were here, sure, you weren't right. here, whatever. Mm. And back in the day, we used to do it based off of, you know, who got final hits on the kill for the monsters, who would get more, or who wow. we had all sorts of different ways. And, you know, Jeez. who'd find traps. We'd get, if you found traps as a rogue, you'd pick up some extra ones. Or there's boosts in different places that you could do for getting in different stuff. Mm. Um, and And you could keep doing that. You could get really crunchy with your xp handouts you could sure you can use it as a style of play a motivation uh if you think players need to do more rp or something you only hand out experience points and we have another whole episode kind of we did a whole episode about this as Um, well but the idea here is again Um, this is not saying that xp is better than milestone i think we are in the opposite camp i think we both believe that milestone is perhaps more you know allows for more you know rich storytelling beats than xp does and that becomes more of a calculation it's a different style of play we prefer milestone but i think playing with xp and understanding both is an important experience when you're playing DD. if you want to have a a vast understanding of of the way different tables can run right because who knows maybe you uh, in something happens in your life where you're suddenly at a new table at you and some new people and you learn that they run xp exclusively and they're much more of a, a gamey kind of war game table that focuses on the numbers hard crunch and maybe again you learn then that's not my experience that's i've I've done xp games before i'm not sure if i'm super comfortable here or maybe again you learn something there i think it's just about widening your yeah. palette and, and your your horizon of understanding right well, and the, you know if you go back into various editions um different classes require different amounts of xp to get to different levels oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> 
so like now at least it's like standard like everybody no matter what you're playing gets the same you know levels up so yeah having multi-level parties and things like that it, it can it can be more interesting and not that you can't have multi-party level parties without it as well it's just yeah uh experience points is part of the D culture it is there it's been there for a long time um it's hard to keep track of mm-hmm. frankly um takes a little bit of getting used to but yeah i don't know again a part of me deep down loves the idea of just having this endless fight dungeon crawl whatever um very video game turn-based um and it would get draining very quickly um or you'd still have to move between story beats and whatever but that xp was you know a, a huge part and item resource management and um and then i realized that that is perhaps nice for a couple sessions and then i would very quickly want to tell a story again um because that is kind of my favorite version of D is the whole storytelling side of things yeah. and exploring emotional character yeah, journeys well, and i like when you know the characters know where their quests goals are and one trick and sort of related to perhaps milestone is giving players like talking with them about okay what are your goals yeah making them in the world and giving them a little sheet just for them no one else gets to see it about what they have to do i saw you do that on your recent one that's so good it's a great way because some players will be like what is that and then they'll hear it at the table and they'll be boom tuned in right they will care because they're like oh you know, one, the story is interesting and I want to learn more about my character's backstory, you know, or, or how it will evolve and change. And two, because it says so in my little paper sheet for me to level up, right? Um, I don't know. I think it's, so, yeah, there's you, a lot of so fun. So you have given individual there. milestones on... I have. I, it never got to a point where someone else would level up before the rest of the party because usually um, all of them would be able to achieve them kind of simultaneously. Um, it was worked out in that way. Um, to yeah, where very clever. they would be able to achieve them together or need to work together to be able to achieve them, um, which is why it, it, it's it's something that comes you learn with, with DMing is that if you want to tell a, a story with an entire party, you have to make their story kind of a shared story, right? Yeah. Um, it's the only way to do it, right? You can't tell five different stories um, really uh, and have them all be, you know, all going at once. Like you're not listening to five different individual people you're listening to a group of people helping each other out, right? Um, but that's how I like to run Milestone these days. Yeah, it's um, amazing. Another fun thing you can do if you want to elevate player experiences, mm. um, and and maybe it could be adding a little bit more crunch, again, we talk about crunch in other, in other spaces, or adding complexity to a, a level of the game, is to introduce um, a crafting system, number 53 on this list. Make your own crafting system. Yeah, um, I think the first easier step one of this is probably like potions, things to do with herbalism and and um, uh, I kind of want to say apothecary. That's not the right word. Uh, alchemy. Alchemy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they're all related. Um, yes, people setting up little labs and things to bubble and yeah, making poisons. I mean, there's already rules for making poisons, poisons in there. Stuff for, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think potions. some of these are, are some of the easy sort sure. of places to start. Um, I even think if people's got a healer's kit and other people in the party have got, I've right now I've got my Curse of Straw parties are so up on herbalism and healer kits and alchemy kits um, and, and poisoner's kits. There's nobody in the party who doesn't have skills in all of this and nature and stuff. So they're mm-hmm. like, and they're, so I'm just like throwing like, recipe books at them and, and herbalism books and all sorts of things and building bit by bit 
sort of session by session with them more and more, giving them more and more options of things mm -hmm. that they now recognize, oh, if we can find some of the ingredients, if we can get this stuff, we can start making more and more things. Um, and that sort of adds their own, it, it creates an option for them to have their own little side quests. And if they decide to have an episode where they want to go off into the spooky Svalich woods in search of uh, ingredients, sure. fine by me. That's, we'll do, the, that's the great we thing. We do fun, we're going to do a fun random encounter in the woods. Why not? Um, yeah. And why not? Absolutely. This D and D is the thing about making a crafting system is you got to kind of make it accessible. A lot of the stuff in Xanathar's and the DMG takes weeks to complete, like making a spell scroll or making potion, sure. making a magic item, whatever. It Does takes D &D ages change, to change make. the time zones, whatever you want them to be. Well, a lot whatever of tables your... are don't work that way. A lot know, of tables what, work moment by moment, right? What, exactly. What works for your game has got to be the question. Y really, my advice is to either make it like instant one minute, ten minute things. Or short rest things, the longest things um, will take a couple days um, or like a long rest to do, right? Yeah. Like you can maybe squeeze in a couple of things during a short rest depending on how much time it takes, right? That's the kind of time span I'm talking about. Yeah. It, most it'll be like a week, right, for this really big important thing. And I understand like world building wise, what does it mean in your world if, if a person can in a single day create you know, this kind of thing, and could they then outsource that and have hundreds of healing potions by the time they come back to their base? And I'm not concerned about that. That comes concern when the players start to think in that, in those terms, right? And exactly. then we, we make this an industry level of production of, you know, healing potions. And then, yeah, if then the of game course, goes we'll, that well if you want to go that way, like, sure, we'll tax you on that. And we're going to make sure the local people have a say about, you know, how you're getting, procuring these, you know, materials and getting people to work for you and where you're making them and how sure. you're storing them and whatever, right? But again, that's because the players want this in their game, right? And so you build what the players kind of like, you start and introduce this thing, the players begin to roll that ball with you. Sure. And as with any collaborative storytelling, you kind of make this system maybe together. Your, maybe your party has got um, artificers or sure. people with uh, blacksmithing abilities. That's another great one. Um, and the, you know, the players are like, It'd be really cool if we could start like making armor and weapons and things, or little magical armor um, and weapons, or yeah, or, or maybe ones that just have slightly interesting features yeah, or sure. stuff to it that aren't even magical, but maybe like just different minerals like, and materials. Um, I had one time where I had a, a character who made his uh, armor so that it had these like locking uh, mechanisms in it, so when he got hit by a uh, something that would normally like knock him back or knock him prone, the suit could try and lock up and and give him advantage on the strength saves against doing that to see if he you know oh, yeah, not fall great. down so much you know those sorts of little things that dm was like yeah absolutely you could try and you know, you know you, it cost us resources we had lot, loads of them and that's the thing as well if you're handing out gold and resources to players you've always got to find a little something for them to do with it yeah so if you let them do custom custom work on their outfits and uniforms and you know weapon systems or spells or potions or whatever it is let them craft let them build stuff I, I, the limit. yeah 100 percent agree um I, it does take a little bit more thinking and planning on how to make these systems if you're scared as a dm or you're like this will be a lot of work i don't know if i have the time or the whatever Just i don't know how to what they want yeah talk to the player make the system together right yeah they go i well maybe they they're not even comfortable approaching you and asking you to create a whole new system you go to them and say i want to make the system happen for you 
I don't really know where to begin or what you're looking for. Can we talk about this and then make it together? Um, and you'll find things are unbalanced. And then you talk to them like, well, could we maybe change that or just that? It, it doesn't need to be set in stone the second you, you come, you know, session one or bring it to the table, right? It can change. It can mold. It can adapt, right? You can add more stuff to it. You can remove stuff from it, right? This is a system that is, is shared. And I think these little modular crafting systems are such a fun um, exercise in homebrew that's very different from making single items. It's a system of making items. You know, it's, yeah. it's this um, really interesting kind of, process um that's very you know take almost like this next level beyond just making homebrew items um which i think is why it needs to be included on this list um shifting gears yes number 52 um many people say never do this thing but i think on a list of things you got to do before you die you got to do this at least once and you got to maybe even learn why a lot of people say you should never do this number 52 split the party yes um so the the common the common thing is don't split the party and the, first of all dms thank you for not splitting the party because yes. when you split up it, it takes longer to tell the story we're gonna cut back and forth between you all which as a good dm i can do i'm okay with that it, it, but we can be boring i do for certain players well this is can, just yeah. it i hope that we're entertaining the players who don't say much but you know um parties split up sometimes and i'm sorry to the party the group that has chosen to go and you know, hide under the covers in the bedroom because, yeah, nothing's going on in there. Meanwhile, you know, <laughs> those who are exploring the the spooky dark dungeon, um, yeah, stuff's happening with them. Uh, what can you do? I mean, sometimes when you split up and you're actually splitting into two different dangerous zones, that's even more work cutting back and forth because you got twice as many fights to get through or twice as many whatever. Um, but this can also be hugely advantageous to the party there's a lot of situations where if the party does split up, if it can get around both sides of a bad guy, if it can, one can go one way or the other, you know, or certain members of the party have particular unique skill sets that will help in, in one area, but not so much in a fight. They can go off and get the other thing going. Um, I think it can make for a much more dynamic stories if mm. you're, if you're, party and your dm are capable of handling it yeah i think it, again don't make this the norm i mean the nice thing to do like like as a dm i don't mind this happening but like i kind of want a little bit of a moment to prepare i usually do this i even as a dm i've done this a couple times started a campaign with the party not together they're all separately yeah you know they they meet each other and find each other in smaller clusters before as an entire group of five or six all finding each other and then the adventure begins right um you see this even with the recent exu calamity we have the party split way way split out and it's not even until two hours in that they've all finally sat at a table together right yeah um, but and they've it, known it each other prior little, to that true but, yeah. it can feel a little scatterbrained and it, it is sometimes a little bit more mentally taxing and you're juggling different dishes that are happening all at once especially as adventures happening it can be a little bit tedious it'd be like all right we got that far and now we jump back over to here, right? It's um, a bit of like this again, a juggling act that you're you're trying to 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 do with with all these different groups that are happening. But then when they 
come together, it can feel really rewarding or, or you know, even players, it gives players time to think about what just happened um, as well, um, where the constant decision, 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 sometimes it's hard to remember everything that, that happened, right? Um, it, it begins to, do, to feel a little bit more like a movie where you're cross-cutting between different scenes, right? Or, or some, you can almost imagine it more as a story where you were cutting between different scenes of, you know, whether this group in the dungeon and this group up in the tavern and this group in the whatever, right? Like, and eventually they'll try and meet back up together um, with a little bit of a time skip or a little jump or an edit or whatever right um but rather than that constant moment by moment um play that i see happen so often right um i don't know i think it's, it's at least worth giving it a go another thing that people will perhaps never advise you do <laughs> is jump off of great heights in D D. number and 51 number 51 take 20 d6 falling damage okay so why specifically 20 d6 okay so Falling damage in D and D is brutal, mm. uh, especially for lower level characters. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the more I've played D and D, the more I've come to accept, you know, a D six of damage jumping off of something that's, you know, ten to fifteen feet high is, yeah. is totally acceptable for if I've got a slightly higher level character. Well, even um, low level character, I mean, it's like okay, fair enough. Yeah, like say level four, three. level five, you even know, level I've, one, it's like oof, you know, let's not jump from too high up. Uh, right? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, if I'm level 4, level 5, and I've got a fighter who wants to, like, jump off of something and land in the middle of a bunch of baddies, well, first of all, Tasha's rules let you land on somebody and split the damage, potentially. Sure. Go for that. If you're a DM, will go for it. Um, I told that that happened in mine. But, or maybe I don't want to land in the middle of them or on somebody. I just want to drop down by them and just get into the fight. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of movement to climb down through things. It's a lot of movement to get around stuff. Just jumping off of something costs you nothing. Uh, except maybe a bit of damage when you hit the bottom. Sure. So every 10 feet you go up, you take another D6 of yeah, falling every damage. Every 10 feet of falling is 1D6 damage to a maximum of 20D6. 20D6. Which, Some DMs will ignore this maximum. But Yeah, yeah again, uh, this is rules as written. Your mm -hmm. mileage may vary. Um, but assuming, you know, we're going to cap it out like at 20D6, um, it's quite possible for your higher level heroes to survive. Yeah, basically you're a barbarian or something. Sure. Because it's bludgeoning damage. You can half that when you hit the bottom. Why not? Um, so 20d6 on average How much turns at about 70 points. Feet? Of, yeah. 200 feet 200, drop. 200 foot drop, 70 points-ish of damage. Brutal. Um, let's even round it up. Let's call it 74. Just give you a little bit extra oh, oomph yeah, on it. That's a fall. Which is a bit, but there's plenty of level 8 barbarians out there that have got 90 hit points. Right. Um, and if you're halving it to 37, okay. you know, could chunk. Yeah, there's well, like, like a monk. third of your, or monks are even better because you can reduce the damage. Or cast Featherfall, right? Exactly. But I, I would encourage you at least once, I mean, you've seen this even in Critical Role, where someone makes a brutal, takes a nasty fall. Um, yeah. I think it's a really funny moment, especially when everyone's like, oh my God, I didn't know falling was so deadly. And then they start to maybe devise how they could get the enemies to fall a great distance. Well, um, it and is. That's really the so then we start thing. picking things up and dropping them. We start throwing things up in the sure. air. We start lifting and and we start thinking a lot more of, hey, you know, if I hit the push feature on this guy, I push him off the edge. Shove feature, uh, sure. Shove, you know, like, yeah, I can knock him back five feet and he falls, you know, 100 feet. That's 10 to <laughs> Um, but but then that doesn't always right? kill a lot of things. Like I said, like you, you, you're looking at stuff that it's something some fly. if it has resistance to non-magical damage and it falls that far, it's going to take half that damage. Like it's lots of things, there is lots of things in D and D tough enough to survive mm -hmm. a 200 foot fall 
or greater um, and pick themselves up and walk away from it, which is pretty badass, really. Mm. Um, and I sort of feel like, you know, this is kind of one of those things that you get to a certain point, like with your character, like they get big enough, tough enough that you can sort of say, okay, yeah, it's going to be, this is going to hurt, but I can take it. Yeah. I love that feeling. Yeah, it, it is a it is a good feeling. And I think it's just on this list because it's such a, a funny out there experience to have. I'm a bit of a fringe, but a, a lot of experienced yeah. D&D's players will understand taking a whole lot of fall damage. Also, um, also the idea of putting 20d6 together. Yeah, some of the silliest moments are just like when you realize how some of the math and doesn't quite make sense um, or like some like the logic behind it. But also just if you have the if you actually have that many d6 and a space to roll them and group them and count them, sure. it's just it's kind of a big, you know, it's a big moment. It's a it's waterfall funny. of dice. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, and we encourage you to find a scenario in which you can full on daredevil style just you know, skydive from a from some kind of like Aarakocra wing, like sure. or like I don't know, fall some airship and you know, take if you try and land on something below, they have to make a dexterity saving throw, or you split the damage with them. Which yeah, awful fun. I would argue trying to aim from that high up to try and land on someone is <laughs> is a little challenging. If you have a cape, you can go glide, baby. I don't know about that. I don't think that's how physics works. Isn't that how it works? Um, and this is again why sometimes in D&D we don't really think about the physics uh, yeah don't overthink it say yes and sure which um, actually is kind of what the it next does bit kind of is segue to our next one number 50 let players pursue their own goals mm, yeah uh, you were talking about this just a minute ago with again we were you were talking about instead of doing XP doing milestones individual milestones mm -hmm. but you know let's lean into this a little bit more like this this is like as you're setting up your world like dms often build worlds before they have players for their worlds sure but if if you can at least maybe you have the framework of your world but then you have players who show up and they're like you know against what you've already told them about the world they built a character that kind of suits it and fits into it mm -hmm. and then they say to you okay like i was sort of thinking maybe this character you know, would be about intrigue and she'd be about trying to, you know, get higher up in society or things like that. And then so that suddenly you're like, okay, yeah, I hadn't planned Love to put it. that into the game, but you know what? Let's do that. Let's, mm -hmm. let's give, let's put whole, uh, I had this, some like aristocracy, high society people in mind, but I hadn't really planned to do anything with them. But now let's push that to the forefront of our game. And yeah. let's tie it into what the existing plot is. And then kind of like a story arc begin to, you know, feed those in and give your character room to grow and whatever. Right. Like, again, it's not about trying to make the player one player, the protagonist or focus, but it's about trying to incorporate all of the player's interests into sure. a single narrative, which is often the hardest trick. Right. And like basic D&D um, &D just says, okay, here's the room. You kick open the door. There's a monster. Yeah, you get it. This this is this is truly advanced D&D &D where you're like, where the collaborative storytelling, the players aren't just following a path and opening doors, but they're, but they're actually part of telling and creating the world. Um, that you're all sharing in. And as a DM, it is so much more interesting and exciting seeing that stuff take place than mm -hmm. re simply reading a flavor text um, out of a module. Uh, yeah. You know. 
True. Um, again, it, it, this is harder to do with pre-written modules as have your characters have their own ambitions. Sure. What you learn to do is take, if you are using an existing module, begin to twist those a little bit. Begin yeah. to take certain things and be like, oh, well, maybe you could take the spot of this NPC with this storyline or this whatever. Yeah. We could begin to put that in for you where I could now write something new, right? I think it's a good stepping stone if you're u used to just using modules is encouraging players to create characters that can have motivations that make sense for that adventure or other way around retrofit the adventure kind of fit your players new goals this is especially great um and when it means their own goals um when there is a cohesive party idea and this comes especially easily when you have a thematic campaign or a thematic party or group right that all fall if there if the entire party works for a thieves guild and they're all different sort of roles in this you know a bit of this underground criminal whatever and they're all going to have a similar goal right yeah maybe you do a bit of like a godfather style you know it's it's the family business style thing sure. right and you, they've all got a similar goal yeah. but they've also I, got their I own interests in, in right Eberron one where we all had the same interest in in basically paying off our skyship exactly um, right there's this shared goal that the party needs to have together right yeah. that can compel a reason why these people are all working together and also being able to find room for individual goals is like the plus it's like the cream on the top right like that's like the best possible like scenario in my mind of, of being able to not only compel this group to work together but also give them space to feel like individual characters with their own journeys of growth that they help each other with like that's the that's the beauty of, of the game right yeah. um i don't know absolutely that's that's absolutely. what i love to do and that's what i encourage you to, to be able to do as well let your players or as a player uh speak to your dm about finding a goal for your character to achieve and that that's and this, the first step it does this does help again depending on the structure of what you're playing, mm -hmm. which takes us to number 49. And this is also kind of relates, I think 49 and 48 are kind of a little bit related, but let's start yeah. with 49. 49 is is play a sandbox style game. What does that mean? What is a sandbox style game? So sandbox, you've got a world. Uh, you could just pick a map that exists already in like an Eberron setting or Faerun or whatever. Um, and, and, yeah, you let the players say, oh, what I'm interested in X, Y, and Z. You know, these are the things I want. These are the things I fear and worry about. And you let them pick and choose and go kind of wherever they want to go. And you can use random tables and you can just do stuff. You don't have to prep the heck out of everything. Story is going to be whatever happens. You're just going to role play and improvise and uh, kind of make a lot more of it up as you go. The, the sandbox doesn't mean no prep. You still need to know the world. And what kind of you know world it is, and you know the the politics and sort of basic structure of what's happening and what's going on where, and I mean back of your mind you should know yeah that there are NPCs at work that are and they and they're doing stuff, and if the players don't interact with them for a while, you have to think well where do they get to by this point, and maybe they bump into them at some point, and you can have a few things you know prepped and planned for ventures, but they get to them or they don't get to them, they get to them in different orders or whenever they decide to get there, that's fine. Players get to wander around and explore and do whatever. Mm. A drawback with the sandbox style, and it's a bit like an open, like the, the appeal is it's this open world. You have the freedom to pursue what you want. I'm not forcing a story. I'm letting the story happen, man. I'm just going with the flow of it, man. <laughs> the, the problem is that players often have no idea what to do right they've got no reason to move forwards and this is like a struggle that comes with a lot of just giving someone a sandbox and you see this even if, if you're familiar with sitting down you open up your streaming platform and there's just a million things to do even if the dm is prepared all of these different places for you to go and it's like choose 
It's like, I don't know. Well, well, and this is, choose, and this right? is like you said earlier, it's great if the players all have common goal. Mm-hmm. Oh, but if they've all got, right? if they've all got, if there's five of them, they all have very five. They want to go in five different directions. Sure, that's but, also and then they decide, okay, well, this is going to split the party. Let's do like five <laughs> different things. God. Like, uh, okay, well, then we're back to playing one on one D and D. Or it's like this again. Take we now. Well, at least the players have made their own sort of road. It, the good scenario, at least there, they know what they want to do and where they want to go. The issue is maybe they even have their goals, and I want to gain notoriety and become a famous performer. All right. Do you want to go to town A, where are this town and town B, and whatever? Like, even if you create this sound sandbox nonlinear, everywhere can go different places, right? There is still this like analysis paralysis of choice. Sure. Like, well, if you're trying to make it so that there's oh no where to go, no Why implication go of railroading, um, or you make it simple where they're like, I want, I want to get this really great armor. Best armor is made here in this one town in this one place people love that again th- there's no railroad then you're there. like that's not necessarily it, it, a railroad I mean, not really giving a lot of, but they don't have to go there you're just saying that if that's really what you want that's the place you go to now you can change what you want or you can decide to go with somebody else to follow their goal to well okay, so you know, it's the first stage just giving naming a place right yeah. many players will just be pumped that there is a place right <laughs> and then they're like what you planned that there was a place for that it's like no I there was just, no place that. I I just that on the fly, right? that what you do the next level though is you get you understand that, oh, players will be like, oh, it's just that place. <laughs> so what you do is you make two places, right? And they're both a little bit different. Like, yeah, one is is one is this excellent, esteemed, you know, the beyond, you know, the top of mortal works. And, oh, yeah, it's deep within the mountains beyond the northern, you know, edge of this, you know, hidden And they need your firstborn society. to get through and, the gates. So. Or, like, it's like some, like, they, of course, they don't allow in outsiders and whatever, right? You make it this obstacle and this journey and this mission to get this thing. Or you could go head over to, you know, Farmville. And, Bob's Emporium, local Emporium. Sure, right? And, and there's still, still good work, right? But it's a different it's you you get different rewards and there's different challenges and there's different struggles and it's like then the party's like okay we either take a detour beyond the northern ridge to get to the secret village because also now you've laid down the plot lines that there's some hideout that relates to this other player's backstory yeah. in the northern ridge and there's exactly. this other villain that's, that's escaped how you to dm you this, baby whatever and that's how you kind of do the sandbox yeah. right well and even even curse of Strahd can be that there's a there's many locations curse of Strahd. you don't have to play them all in fact i encourage you not to um, and whether players go to them or don't go to them, I mean, it's kind That's of a session zero thing. You, 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 you create interest, right? Yeah. You, you gauge where the interest is at, and then and that's you, the sandbox part. Sure. And then you move into the more. Or you can sort of gauge how much. A how much time do I think I'm going to have with this party before this whole thing falls apart? Do I really want to get them to to the castle? Do I really want to streamline this and make it so it's fewer sessions? Or am I confident I can run this for two years? Sure. Uh, because it was going to take that long to get through everything. The next part of it as well, and I think if we get into railroad, I think this is a So bit the of a opposite of sandbox right? yeah, this is, is a joint yeah, discussion. number 48 is railroading. Yeah, and the, the whole idea of railroading is that the, the downside of it is that while there is a clear path and a story, there's a beginning, middle, and end that's all planned out, what do you do if the players deviate off of your little script? Well, when it's just that the world tends to be very limited, right? Mm-hmm. So the world doesn't exist beyond this very tiny little bubble that you've created, right? Right. And one shots are often this way. You see smaller adventures that don't have, you know, they don't have the maps aren't colored in past 150 feet. Like you're stuck in this little zone. And you're right. If players then decide, oh, we're going to go over here. 
you have to very much find narrative reasons that they can't go over there. Or it will, there's the two approaches there, right? And I think then it comes back to this idea of balance between the railroad and the sandbox, right? You don't want to make it so you have to always say no to your players if they're not exactly adhering to the way you want the story to go out. But you also you have to give them a reason and a motivation, and you have to give them. I mean, there has to be a story, right? Yeah. And like having a story means there's going to be some tropes of a linear, you know, element. There has to be some story progression. There needs to be a, like a, the characters have to go to some place, and you know, what if they don't want to go that place? Okay, well, the new place they go to is still the place, right? It's just I, now with a new paint I, of coat, I, right? And, and with with experienced players, they can tell where you're like shining the light. Oh, yeah. You're saying, sure. oh, look, there's interesting stuff over here. Yeah, just describe it, and trust me. And then they're like, like, and they're like oh, yeah. he's talking about this thing. Let's go Let's go see. Obviously, it's got a description. It's got something it's going on. probably at least a little let's bit Let's go check it right? out. And um, so you can, instead of railroading them, it's more of a, it's more of a carrot. Yeah. You're sort like of a, like dangling sure. like like promise over this direction, this promise over like, this direction. If you're familiar with editing thing. software, you know like a little like, you a little bit of feathering to the mask, you know, yeah. a little bit of a blur radius, right, yeah. where um, it... The illusion of this infinite multitude of choices to choose from, right? That could change the game, and, and like a DM's brain cannot work in that way, right? Like you cannot make this this infinite potential timeline, right? You plan for a certain series of events to happen; they will not go that way exactly, and you adapt to make it fit as close as you can without giving up the the whole gist that there is no real you know free will right <laughs> it's almost like like there is a free will players can do whatever they want really they can they can but they really can and there's and there's dice, will there's dice the that will, ways, right? will decide a lot of it for you anyways and there will be outcomes that are kind of you you as a dm can kind of make happen a little bit you know 20 d6 falling the damage way, sure right but you well you wouldn't plan that that's dastardly rude uh if you planned for them no matter what to take 26 damage right you fall. and it, it's about keeping up the the illusion that their choices are making these new scenarios and sometimes sure. they will sometimes it will make brand new scenarios and that you will improvise i and you will love run with, as a right? dm when again the, the table is doing stuff that's unexpected and it inspires me and we improvise and, and role play our way through it out, right and yeah we've got a whole thing that wasn't planned and that excites me even more like i am more adrenalized often by that excitement as a dm yeah. and even why i think as dms we like rolling on random tables because yeah. sometimes just the improv of that's that the moment dice. that's the point of the dice, yeah right? in that moment is exciting um and it's yeah good to keep us on our toes and maybe the ending won't be great or good and or everybody what feels I expected, that right and, and players feel that as well they, they also feel that in those moments where the random stuff happened the dm was improvising and whether good or bad or whatever comes out of it in those moments, um, that's that's the magic of D and D. That wasn't the DM being, you know, mean or something. It was just things happened. It was cool. Yeah, um, and that that's kind of that. Again, that that whole I guess lesson or skill or trying to balance those two in creating this, you know, meaningful, motivating story that is moving at a, a good pace. Um, that also has the potential to go off course a little bit. Sure. Um, and that's the, the kind of where the, the fun and the joy of, of playing D&D over just playing, again, a, a linear video game, right? Sure. Um, that, that sort of comes in. Um, a couple other things now. I think we're, we're, we've already crossed the hour mark. Wow. Uh, two other things I think we wanted to, to quickly touch we can on. We kind of quick on these um, ones. Is some fun ways of, of playing combat, right? Because 
Well, things that I don't think mm. get touched on very yeah, often. Like and rare the, combat. And I really think moments. you should cross these ones off before before you die. For sure. Um, they're in so number 47 and 46. They're yeah. in chapter 9 of, uh, of the Player's Handbook. Um, mounted combat. Um, this is a fun one. Yeah. A, you know, a willing creature that is at least one size larger than you and has the appropriate anatomy, <laughs> that's all it says, can sure. serve as a mount. Using the following rules. I love, I love and, piggybacking. And so basically, once during your move, um, you can mount a creature. Uh, it takes like half your movement to do so. And then um, and then basically, your mount, you gain your mount speed, essentially, it's at great. this point. It's and so you great. can move around with it, which actually can have some interesting advantages. Like, as a rogue, there's the, if you're using the steady aim uh, mm. option which doesn't let you move during your turn you can actually do steady aim while your mount moves around which sure. is huge fun getting your advantage on your shot and so allowing you to do sneak attack damage even though you're riding your camel all up and down the dunes <laughs> right okay i speak from experience mm. um some mounts have got you may depending on what you're riding and doing cool stuff things like you know, owl bears or axe beaks, or there are kind of like exotic mounts that could be out sure. there. Um, they might be able to have an attack or something like this going on. Mm -hmm. Now, typically the way the rules are written, um, if that's the case and you want them to do something with it, you have to use your action to make their attack action happen. Yeah. Which kind of seems like a bit of a, it's sort of a, a rule that seems to be out of joint with a lot of what's happened in 5e where some we were talking about pets earlier you summon animals you bring other things into existence and with a bonus action you can direct them to do their thing and then you still have your action mm -hmm. um and in as i mentioned earlier in the previous episode um various magazines are a great source of inspiration acadia magazine had a very simple fix basically saying yeah look for uh, controlling a mount, especially a special mount, uh, let it be a bonus action to do those things. And uh, and then you can still use your action for your own attack or for whatever. I love that. And and then, yeah, then you can suddenly do these really cool mounted combat sort of things where riders and beasts are all working together to do, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think you should give... So you give the mounted combat stuff a, a a go. I think they can be mounts can be quite a bit more interesting with just a, a couple mm -hmm. touches of of little flavoring there, um, and uh, yeah, have some fun with that. And then finally for today's episode number forty six, another interesting combat scenario which comes in the book right after mounted combat, uh, underwater combat. Yes, so we had another episode on this, I think, but we uh, might have forty six. Yeah. yeah play with underwater combat rules um this is interesting I, I ran a whole one-shot combat system this way the other day it's it's surprising how fast when players are underwater that they figure out how to fix this basically there's some rules that come off when you're underwater mm -hmm. when you make a melee weapon attack a creature that doesn't have a swimming speed either natural or granted by magic has disadvantage on attack rolls uh, unless the weapon is a dagger a javelin a short sword spear or trident mm. um very short list of weapons. Uh, crossbows too, right? Surprisingly, if you are going to be underwater for any... Crossbows too, right? Hmm? Crossbows? Uh, that's ranged weapons, yeah. Oh, right. Um, ranged weapons automatically miss a target... In the long range? Beyond a weapon's normal range. Right. 
Um, even against a target within normal range, the attack will have disadvantage unless the weapon is a crossbow, a net, or a weapon that is thrown like a javelin, which includes spears, drains, and darts. Very cool. Um, and of course, creatures and objects that are fully immersed in water have resistance to fire damage. Mm-hmm. For you spellcasters out there, you might also have questions about can I cast spells underwater? Yes, you can. However, Even though the verbal component makes you go, bloom, 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 bloom. but then um, don't you start drowning? That's the whole point, right? Uh, so here's the question, but yes. See, so if you're holding your breath mm-hmm. underwater, point, right? yeah. uh, which you can do for your, for one minute mm-hmm. plus uh, one minute per uh, constitution modifier. Right. So this is a long time. Uh-huh. Uh, whole combat. But yeah, as soon as you speak or sort of let all your air out to do something like that, yeah, then then that time actually is dropped to zero. And now you start drowning, which kind of sucks. No good. Um, so the crazy thing is, is that there's actually a tremendous number of ways to grant magical swimming speeds and or gain swimming speeds or whatever. So if your party's in a situation like that, they tend to, to come up with things um, that'll help. Uh, create bubbles of stuff like that or you can you know find ways to add that into your space whatever but it is a very different set of rules um you know if, if creature doesn't have a swimming speed most a lot of players don't my characters don't they they're gonna be toast and that that character with amazing longbow is useless underwater mm. um so yeah if you suddenly submerge your party uh it's a well it could be a very quick uh, tpk if you're not careful but yeah if you set it up right so they're not all gonna die um immediately from drowning um it can just be a different way to flavor a combat scenario you can think in three dimensions it's yeah you go up and down and do all sorts of things you don't normally do Mm. Um, we had a little underwater combat with like a little ablith and some things it was was fun. fun yeah it was good all right folks thanks for joining us again for this other episode we are now beyond the halfway mark, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, and we will be rounding off our, our list in the next yeah, episode. Stay, stay tuned as we continue our countdown to the number one thing you need to do. Number one, what will it be? Indeed, indeed. Stick around. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.